Hello, friends, and welcome to the Everyday Truth Podcast with Kurt Skelly. We are here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. And we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. Right now, we're studying the book of Revelation in a series called The End is the Beginning. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Well, first and foremost today, I want to apologize for last episode. I have a little clock that I use and I thought I had been speaking for 15 minutes yesterday, and I had only been speaking, I think, for like 10 or 11 minutes. And when I finished the episode, I realized my mistake. So a little bit shorter of an episode yesterday. We probably could have finished our teaching on the church at Philadelphia. But uh, hey, it happened. I'm sorry. So I hope you use that time productively to get an extra cup of coffee or, or something productive. Thanks for your patience. We are in Revelation chapter 3, and uh, let's look again at verse number 11, where we uh, left off yesterday, last episode. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. I think we talked a little bit at the end of last episode about the fact that Christians are rewarded. And I think we have to be careful because our incentive ought to be we love the Lord. Remember what Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. Our, our incentive ought to be we want to follow the Lord and please him. I do always those things that please thee is what Jesus said was his incentive. That ought to be our incentive. But that's not to say that there aren't real and bona fide rewards that God offers to those that are faithful to him. And we ought to have a spiritual jealousy about wanting what's, what's best in our lives and wanting God's best blessings. And so faithfulness has its own reward, doesn't it? Look at verse number 12, where the Bible says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God. So a couple really, really sweet things here. First of all, understand that the, the whole temple motif would make so much sense to the believers at, at Philadelphia for a couple reasons. Number one, uh, they would be aware as former Jews, some, some in the church were former Jews, would certainly understand the teaching about the temple, uh, the temple in Jerusalem, had just recently been destroyed. They would have known that. And so for, for Jesus to talk about the temple of God is to talk about the glorious future. For him to talk about the temple of God is for them to remember the glory days of uh, God's reign uh, in, in and through the Jewish people in the Old Testament. So uh, there, would be, uh, there would be that sense, but in a much, I think, more poignant way, when they thought about temple in the city of Philadelphia, they were just looking around them. And all around them were the temples to the various gods, small g, of Philadelphia. Do you know that Philadelphia, remember we said it was started as an outpost to introduce Greek culture to that region and the regions beyond. It was like a missionary outpost uh, Philadelphia, when it became built up, became known as a little Athens. 
Why? Because it just had so many different temples and the buildings that, that, that were built so quickly. And even though it was an area known for a number of earthquakes, uh, they would build and rebuild. And it was just an amazing place. And so the Christians would be familiar with the temples. And of course, they didn't have access to those temples. Uh, they were barred from them uh, because of their stand for Christ. Remember, we already said that they were barred from the synagogue. So it would seem, as far as culture was concerned, it would seem, as far as religion uh, excuse me, was concerned, that they did not have access and yet, what does the Lord tell them here in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 12? He says, yes, but you have access to the temple of God. And one day you will be a permanent fixture in the temple of our God. So a pillar in the Bible represented strength, uh, obviously. And you look at these temples and the great pillars of these temples, you would see that's the, that's the strength of the building. That's what holds the weight. Remember, the Bible says that the local church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so a pillar in the Bible was used metaphorically of stability, of truth, of stabilization. And if a particular person were to be honored in the temple, his name would be engraved on or a plaque would be placed upon the pillar so that th this would be a permanent reminder of this great person or this notable priest or of this benefactor, whoever the person happened to be. And so what does God say? Uh, what does God the Son, Jesus, what does he say? He says, you, uh, faithful ones at Philadelphia, even though you are barred from these temples and even though you are barred from this synagogue, you will have a place in my temple. And that will be a permanent temple. That will be a beautiful temple. That will be the temple of God, large G. And you will have a place of prominence, stability, permanence, recognition, access. All of it is yours because of what you have in Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, you just can't compare what this world offers with what our future is in Christ. Uh, this world offers the temporal God offers the eternal. This world offers that which passes away. God offers per, a permanence. This world offers access to its important people. Uh, God offers access to himself. This world has a temporary uh, renown, but God says uh, we are known by his name forever and forever and forever. You just can't compare what God offers uh, with what this world offers. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse number 12, again, the Bible says, And I will write upon him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. You know, there is a way by which God will identify himself in eternity future that we don't even know yet. A name of God by which we will be called, a special relationship that we'll have with God that we don't even know the details of it yet. Uh, heaven is going to be such a wonderful thing. 
Remember we talked a few episodes ago about the fact that God has a new name for me. But there's even a new name for God that we're going to learn among the many other wonderful names. It's going to be an exciting day, that day when we see the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven onto onto earth where you and I uh, will enjoy and dwell with the name of God written upon our very lives. I mean, think about it. It's going to be awesome. Look at verse number 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So again, every single letter that was written to these churches ended with this general appeal. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Now, obviously, everybody can hear the Word of God. I mean, if they have the capacity to, to, to hear, everyone can have access to the Word of God. Uh, they can hear it. But hearing in the Bible is a matter of the heart more than it's a matter of the ear. So people can hear, but people sometimes aren't listening. And I wonder, I'm hearing the word of God, but am I listening? What that means, am I taking it in? Am I considering its truth? Is it holding sway in my decision-making? And God puts that choice up to me. I can approach the word of God with a spirit of submission, with a spirit of God, you're right, I'm wrong, or I can approach the word of God just in an informational academic way. Well, I hear it. I understand what it says. I can get the questions right on the test. That's not what God's looking for. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, the Spirit of God. And how does the Spirit of God say things to the churches? Well, he uses his word. The, the Spirit of God is the author of divine scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The, uh, the idea is it's God-breathed, the Spirit of God. Just as the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters and was part and parcel to the creation of this physical world, so the Spirit of God is the, the, the member of the Godhead by whom we understand the deep things of God by whom we understand the mind of God, by whom the words of God come, who forms within us the character of the Son of God. I wonder, what is your relationship with the Holy Spirit? The Bible says, really, there are three ways by which you can relate to Him, three negative ways. Number one, you can resist Him. Uh, Stephen said to the religious leaders of his day, how long resist ye the Holy Ghost? Certainly don't want to resist the word of God that's, that's being brought to me. Uh, the Holy Ghost can be resisted. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, the grace of God is irresistible. That's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, Jesus said to the city of Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that slayest the prophets, how often would I have come to thee and, 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 and presented myself to thee. I'm not quoting it exactly, but thou wouldest not, thou would not. In other words, you made a choice to reject me. I wanted you, you said no to me. That's resisted grace, isn't it? And there in Acts chapter seven, so certainly we don't want to resist the spirit of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter four, it's possible to grieve the spirit of God. And that, that's in connection with the way we treat other believers. 
let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearer, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed until the day of promise. So what's the point? The point is when we don't treat other believers in whom the Spirit of God dwells, when we don't treat them well, we actually grieve the Spirit of God who indwells both of us and all of us. And then the Bible teaches in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we aren't to despise prophesyings. Don't despise the Word of God that comes into my life. When the Word of God is preached to me and taught to me, when it rebukes me and, and sometimes has to realign my thinking, then don't despise that. Don't despise prophecy and quench. Quench not the Spirit is what the next verse says. So what do we do? We extinguish the fire of conviction in our lives when we negate the Word of God from having its influence in our lives. And so stay open. Stay honest. Stay attentive to the Word of God. Let the Spirit of God burn in your heart the things that you need to know, the things about which you need to repent, and let God's Spirit have sway in your life. That was God's advice through Jesus to uh, the church at Philadelphia, and it certainly is what He expects of you and me. So I hope that's a blessing today. We're going to come back and talk about our last church Uh, of the seven churches. We'll begin talking about that next episode. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.